Today and tonight, we're going to talk about the dimensions of faith. It's frailties as well as it's strengths. There are two issues in the fifth chapter of Mark that we want to talk about. The first one is Jairus and his daughter. Tonight we'll talk about the woman who had the issue of blood for some 12 years. But in both of these, we find imperfect faith that is perfected in Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes, do you feel like maybe your faith is not adequate enough to carry you through the day? Or maybe you feel like your faith isn't as strong as somebody else that you've been watching, somebody else in your history? And God is just simply saying to you and to me, I'll take the faith that you have and I'll strengthen it as you continue to walk with me. So, look with me, if you will, at the fifth chapter of Mark. The Bible says, as we left it last Sunday, Jesus crossed back over the Sea of Galilee from the other side. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And then moved down to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Wow. We look at Jairus and his daughter in that situation, and we think, well, my faith pales in comparison to that. I couldn't begin to understand how somebody could express or experience a faith healing like that. I wish I had that kind of faith, you might be asking. Well, there's three things that I want to mention to you today. First of all is our desperation. You see in verses 22 and 23, the Bible says one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. Now Jairus, the Bible says, was the leader of the synagogue. He was of the ruling uh, group that absolutely controlled all things that were related to that synagogue experience, whatever it was. So here's Jairus. As this ruler of the synagogue, he knows about Jesus. 
He's heard all about Jesus. He's seen and experienced some of the things that Jesus has taught and has done. Jairus, though, was a ruler of the synagogue. Jesus came and confronted the rulers of the synagogues, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, those who considered themselves religious people. And Jairus was a man who was well seen in that community, well established in that community as a ruler, as a leader of the religious community, therefore of the community itself. And in that position, he was a wealthy man. He had status. He had standing. He had all of these things that you might expect a man to have in that position. But his wealth could not save his daughter. You know, I've talked to a number of people over the years. I've talked to people who are extremely wealthy. And they'll tell you either in their hospital bed or as their life is waning, you know, money can't buy health. And when your health is gone, it's gone. And so as much as we try to hang on to material possessions and wealth, when our health is gone, when the Lord decides to take us, all of that remains behind and it becomes insignificant insignificant he was wealthy but his wealth couldn't save his daughter and respected in the community now you see where it says the Bible says then one of the synagogue rulers came and saw Jesus fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him that word in the Greek for pleading earnestly is literally begging imploring him from the depths of his soul to see a leader of the synagogue come and grovel before Jesus who was not well received by the religious leaders was probably more than the community could stand of Jairus. He fell out of uh, repute with his synagogue ruler friends, with those who worshipped at that particular synagogue. He put himself out there on the line. But he came to that place where his relationship to his daughter meant more to him than his relationship with these religious rulers who had very little positive to say about Jesus the Christ. He begged, he pleaded, he lost all sense of dignity there on that day. That's his desperation. Please come and put your hands on my daughter. My little daughter in the Greek is is a a term of, of endearment. It just simply says, my precious one. Now Luke says that this was his only daughter. And you can imagine, in those days, a girl was considered an adult when she was 12 years and one day old. And so in that, this was his only daughter. And I'm sure she gave him 12 years of absolute joy up until this time. We all have limitations. Sometimes God allows us to come to the end of our rope so that we actually begin that earnest pleading and begging with Him to come into that, enter into our lives, come and and allow me to know Your presence, to know your, Your providence, to know Your provision. I need that, and I need this particular instance. Our limitations. He couldn't save his only daughter. Not all the money in the world, not his prestige, not his power, not all the recognitions of of physicians of that day. Nothing 
had helped up to this point. Well, there was nothing left for him to do. Jesus was his final resource. And so with his final resort, Jesus was the one that came in. D.L. Moody put it this way. I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. One day I read the 10th chapter of Romans. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had up to this time closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study and faith has been growing ever since. So in your faith, as it comes in that little tiny grain of mustard seed, when it's in its infancy, when it's in its uh, immaturity, when it's placed in Jesus Christ, begins to grow. And it drives us to His Word where we begin to study what God has talked us by inspiration through His people in the Scriptures, through the Bible. And as we continue to meditate on that and read that, we begin to see God at work in our lives. Well, He says, we never possess true faith. Because true faith always possesses us. You see, so many people work to try to experience faith when in reality, faith embraces us. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Now, tonight we'll talk about the woman that Jesus touched, that that touched the woman. The woman touched him, and it was her faith. And on the heels of that, seeing that experience, With that woman being healed, Jesus turned to Jairus and said, Don't be afraid, Jairus. Only believe. Don't allow all of these people that are telling you about your daughter to dissuade you from following me faithfully and fully. Just come. Let's go. So here Jesus said, This relationship with me is going to produce your faith, not vice versa. Your faith doesn't produce a relationship. The relationship begins to produce the faith. Hebrews 11.1 said, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet clearly seen. And verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so there we go with the definition of faith. Whatever you have, in your heart, allow Jesus to multiply it. Allow Jesus to increase it. It's not a matter of saying, well, I really don't have much faith, so therefore I can't come to Jesus. It's just the opposite. My faith is is insignificant, or so it appears to me. It seems to be inadequate. It seems to be uh, without a whole lot of uh, maturity to it. And yet Jesus says, bring it. Don't be afraid, only believe. Bring it to me, Jesus says. Allow me to increase that faith. So we see these negative attitudes and these skeptical friends almost hindered the miracle because unbelief laughs at belief. Verse 40, when Jesus came and he saw these people, He says, they began to laugh at him. The Bible says, in in the Greek there, 
is that their laughter was almost uncontrollable and complete, laughing at him. This girl is dead. What are you going to do? The laughter. You know, uh, we attempt little for God because in his power, we don't access all that he has for us. We attempt little. We congratulate ourselves for what we've done in our own strength when God really, really wants to begin to develop that faith in us to allow him to work in our hearts and minds and attitudes. Well, I want you to see the Bible says that ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John and the mother and father were five people that Jesus took in the room with them. But when Jesus approached the house, the Bible says Jesus saw a commotion. And again, in the Greek, that word for see or saw is a word that means that he actually saw the level of their faith or the lack of it. He saw, when he looks in our heart, he sees that, that level of faith or lack of it that we have in any given circumstance, any given experience, at any given time. Now what would he see in you right now, today, about something that you're confronting? What would he see in your heart about something that is confronting you? And you know there are these professional mourners. Moses had to deal with it. They were dealing with it in the time of Jesus when, when somebody is at the point of death, they call in the professional mourners and when they die, they're witness to that the person has actually died, then the professional mourners come. We have people that you think are professional mourners in our lives. We have those negative critics. You, you know, when you look at uh, Winnie the Pooh, what can I say? Five kids later, ten grandchildren. I like Winnie the Pooh. One of my favorite characters is Eeyore. We have Eeyores. Everybody has an Eeyore in their life. Go ahead. Everybody else does. It's going to rain. Why are you taking your umbrella? Zero percent of rain. It's going to rain. You know. They say that a... a a person who is a skeptic is a person who actually looks both ways on a one-way street before crossing, you know? Sometimes I find myself doing that out of habit, and I just want to slap myself. Don't do that. You saw the one-way sign. Don't, don't be that kind of person. But you see these professional mourners. When, when Jesus Christ is coming into your life, when He's revealing Himself to you, there's always those professional mourners around that laugh at what Jesus is doing. They're there. What do you mean God's calling you to do these things? Have you ever had that experience? You want to go to a Bible study, people around you, family, friends, neighbors. Why would you want to do that? Why do you go to that worship service on Sunday evening, Wednesday night? There are better things to do. Oh, we got these great activities on Sunday morning. Why would you not want to go with us? Who do you, what, what would Jesus do better than what we can do? And they laugh at Jesus because they're laughing at you, but they're ultimately laughing at your relationship with Jesus, so they're ultimately laughing at Jesus himself. Oh, professional mourners. Jesus comes into our areas, and he looks at those around us, 
He sees the Eeyores. He sees the Tiggers. He knows the nature of either one. He sees the heart condition on us all. Why do you think he told the mourners to leave the premise? Why did he only take, then this is the first time that this is uh, mentioned in Mark, that Jesus took an inner circle of his twelve, took three of the twelve in with him to experience what he was about to do. Because at that time, you don't need skeptics, you don't need critics, you don't need the naysayers. In baseball terminology, you don't need the boo birds. You know the boo birds. They're always in the stadium. They're always booing something or somebody for something. They're the boo birds. They come out. Well, in, in your life and in my life, we have boo birds that are there. They're the professional mourners. They're the Eeyores. They're the people who are the critics or the skeptics or the negative, the naysayers that would dissuade you from following Jesus into that next miracle. So Jesus says to the naysayers, I put them all out. I don't need you here. We don't need this kind of thing here. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples were with him. Well, then he took her hand. There are three times in the scripture where you see the Aramaic mentioned. This is one of them. It doesn't translate it. Just mention Talitha Kumi. Arise. Walk. Get up, little girl. Walk. And so here, Jesus took her by the hand. She rose up and walked. Now the beauty of this is, is Jesus not only raised her, brought her back to life, but he also completely cured her of whatever illness was racking her body. And this complete and total cure was a result of somebody else's prayers. Now you're here today because of somebody else's prayers. Did you realize that? Somebody has been praying for you and they want you here today. Maybe it's somebody in your past life who no longer lives on planet earth. But this little girl was a recipient of prayers, earnest, fervent, zealous prayers from her father, her mother. Others probably were praying for her as well. You and I are here as a recipient of other people's prayers. I know my mother and dad prayed for me. I know others have prayed for me. And I know to this day people pray for me. And I am... I am able to do whatever I am able to do because of the prayers of others. You're the recipient of somebody else's prayer. You're here today, not by mistake. Somebody has had you on their heart and prayer list, and that's why you're here. So, Martin Luther said, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is so sure and so certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Well, I've got a couple of questions for you this morning. If Jesus were here and he were going to accomplish something great and magnificent that only he could take credit for, and you're standing around in the crowd, would he ask to take you in with him or would he ask you to excuse yourself and stand outside? Well, that's a great question. I've been asking myself that all week. 
So I just thought I'd just enjoy bringing you into that process. Now I'm going to lay it on your shoulders. What would he ask you to do? Would he say, excuse me, but I have work to do and I'd prefer you to stay outside? Maybe in our heart we kind of laugh at him. Maybe we smile at him. Maybe we, we look at somebody that says, you know, I really want to be a missionary. I really want to serve God somewhere. I want to talk to this person about Jesus Christ. I want to invite that particular person to come to a Bible study or to worship services with me. And when we hear these things, there's that little laughter in our hearts that says, ha, huh, maybe not. Maybe not that person. Maybe not that time. Maybe not that situation or circumstances. And God says, Wait outside. Wait outside. Or maybe we're the kind like Peter, James, and John, or this mother and father who said, you know, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I've been praying toward this end. I want to see what you can do, Jesus, in and through me with, with or without my assistance. I want to see you perform something that only you can take credit for. Boy, if this church begins to pray for that, We'll be not only in two worship services probably and in three or four or five because we begin to recognize the fact that God is at work in Sun City Center and beyond. Whether He is at work in this county, this state, this nation, this world, we're ready to receive Him. And we want to be a part of Him when He is activating His miracles. The greatest miracle of all, of course, is salvation. There's nothing greater than that. You're coming in your own skepticism, your own criticism, your own doubt and fears and all of those things. And Jesus says, here I am. I'm ready to perform a miracle in your life. And you're here this morning. The Lord's been speaking to you. You've been sitting there. You're struggling. You're staying outside. He's inviting you to come in to Him. And yet, you remain in the pew. You remain at home. You remain smug and you don't follow. This morning, Jesus is calling you. This morning, maybe you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're looking for this kind of experience. This is yours. Look what he said. When the little girl stood up and walked around, she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. But Jesus didn't leave it there. He gave uh, strict orders not to let anyone about this. He told them to give her something to eat. Feed her. Get up, get nourished, and get moving. That's His response to us as well. Nourish yourself on the Word of God. Nourish yourself on physical food as well. But get nourished. But get moving. Jesus is calling you. Which crowd are you in? The one small crowd that Jesus invites to come in to experience Him more deeply? Or are you still sitting there today skeptical, critical, even though you have doubts? If Jesus invites you to come in, whatever you do, accept the invitation. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you... You have followed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've asked Him to come into your life. 
Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, then I'll come into him and I will abide with him. I will sup with him. I will experience your life. You're here this morning. The door. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Won't you answer? Maybe you're here. You're looking for a church home. This is the place where you need to be. Why put it off any longer? This is where you need to be. And for all of us, it's a time of rededication for that, that spirit of, of restoration that comes into our lives. You're invited this morning to come with Jesus. What's your response? Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you're accomplishing here this morning. Thank you for these decisions that are being made even now. And thank you for these people who are coming by faith to you to experience you. We praise you for that, Lord. Thank you. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.